From Sex to Superconsciousness, Chapter 4, Sex, the Super Atom. There are more profound enigmas in life, and on their proper solution depends whether life can be decent or not, whether life can be harmonious or not, whether our present direction is the right one for progress or not, and so on. We think we know the answers, but the consequences show how inaccurate our perception of life really is. The life of each one of us shows that we do not know anything about life at all. Otherwise, how come there is so much despair, so much misery, so much anxiety? I say the same thing as far as our knowledge of sex is concerned. We do not know anything about it. Perhaps you will not agree. You will argue and say it is quite possible we do not know anything about the soul or God. But how can you say we do not know anything about sex? You'll probably reply that you have a wife and that you have children, and yet I dare to tell you that you do not know anything about sex. Although it may be very difficult for you to agree with what I say, you may have gone through sexual experiences, but you not know more about sex than an animal. To go through a process mechanically is not enough to know it. A man may have driven a car for a thousand miles, but it does not necessarily follow that he knows anything about the engine. He might ridicule my statement, saying he had just driven a thousand miles, but I still venture to make the accusation that he knows nothing about the car. I repeat, driving a car is different from knowing the internal mechanism. A man presses a switch and there is light. He presses it again and the light goes off. He has done it innumerable times. He can say that he knows all about electricity because he can switch it on or off at will. And he will say that he is... I would say rather that he is a fool, that even a child can turn a switch on and off, that no knowledge of electricity is necessary. Anybody can marry, anybody can produce children. It has nothing to do with an understanding of sex. Animals procreate, but it does not mean they know anything about sex. The truth of the matter is that sex has not been studied scientifically. No philosophy or science of sex has developed because everyone believed he knew about sex. No one has seen the need for scripture for, of sex. This is a very grave mistake by mankind. The day we fully develop a scripture, a science, a complete system of thought on sex, we will produce a new race of humans. Then there won't be the production of ugly and lame and feeble human beings, sick, weak, dull men, won't be seen anymore on this earth. It isn't at all necessary to continue producing the present kind of generation, a generation born out of sin and guilt. But we are not aware of this. We are in the habit of switching the light on and off and have concluded we know everything about electricity. Even at the end of his lifetime, a man does not know, does not come to know what sex is. He knows only on and off and nothing more. We never go deeply into the subject of sex, never reflect upon the practice of sex, never try to get to the bottom of it, never meditate on it because of the delusion that we know everything there is to know about it. When everybody already knows everything, what need is there to consider the subject? And in the same breath, I wish to tell you that there is no deeper mystery, no deeper secret, no deeper subject than sex in this world and in life itself. We only learned about the atom recently, and the world has undergone a tremendous change. But when we succeed in knowing the atom of sex fully, mankind will enter a new era of wisdom. It is impossible to predict the enormity, the greatness of the heights we may reach when we fathom the process and techniques of the creation of life.
But one thing can be stated for certain. Sex is the most mysterious, most profound, most precious, and at the same time the most accursed subject, and we are in total darkness about it. We never pay any attention to this important phenomenon. A man goes through the routine of coitus throughout his life, but he does not know what it is. When on the first day, I talked about the void, about egolessness, about no mind. Many friends were not convinced. Afterwards, one friend said to me, I never thought about it, but what you say has happened. In the first place, man is not born with foreknowledge of science of sex. Rare are those persons who retain the impressions of many past lives, are able to understand fully the art of sex, the strategy of sex, or the knowledge of the intricacies of sex. These are souls who can attain to the stage of real celibacy. To a person who knows the complete reality of sex, the full implications of sex, sex becomes useless. He simply passes through it. He transcends it. But it is not in our tradition to discuss sex with those who have already attained transcendence. Besides, those who have attained to the purity of celibacy can tell of the previous births and lies only after enormous effort. Only a perfect celibate can reveal the perfect truth about sex and divinity. The sensualities do not comprehend any of the subtitles and, because of their ignorance, their lives are engulfed in sexuality until the end. Animals have a schedule for intercourse, as I told you earlier. They have a season. Animals wait for the mood, for the disposition, but man has no definite time for it. Why is this? It is because the animal exists at a deeper layer of sex than man. Those who have reached sex, who have gone deeply into it, who have meditated upon life's manifold experiences, have deduced that it is coitus only, that if coitus only lasts for one minute, a man will desire it again on the next day. But if it can be prolonged for three minutes, he will not think of sex for a week to come. Furthermore, they have observed that if coitus can be prolonged for seven minutes, a man will be so free of sex that no thought of passion will arise in him for the next three months. And if the period of coitus can be extended to three hours, a man will be free of sex forever. He will never desire it again. But man experience, man's experience is generally of a moment's duration. It is difficult even to imagine a period of three hours. However, I reiterate, if a person can remain in the coital position, can remain in that, and that's submerged for three hours, then one single act of intercourse is enough to free him from sex for the rest of his life. It leaves behind such an experience of contentment, such an experience of bliss that it lasts a lifetime. After perfect coitus, there remains no barrier to the attainment of real celibacy. Even after a lifetime of sexual experience, we never reach anywhere near the supreme stage, near the divinity. Why? A man reaches a ripe old age, comes to the end of his life, but he is never free from his lust for sex, from his passion for intercourse. Why? It is because he has never understood nor been told about the art of sex, about the science of sex. He has never considered it. He has never discussed it with the enlightened ones. Even after a lifetime of sexual experiences, we never reach anywhere near the supreme stage. You may be skeptical that an experience that is usually of a moment's duration can be prolonged for three hours. So I will give you certain pointers. If you need them, the journey to celibacy will become simpler. 
The faster one's breathing is, the shorter the duration of intercourse. The calmer and slower one's breathing is, the more it is prolonged. And the longer intercourse lasts, the more possibility there is of making sex a door to a channel to superconsciousness. As I said earlier, the realization of egolessness, of timelessness, drones upon man in the sex. The breathing should be very slow. Slowness of breath will open deeper and deeper vistas of realization. Another thing to remember during the act of intercourse is that your awareness should be focused between the eyes in the seat of the Agni Chakra. If the attention is focused there, the duration of the climax can be drawn out, even up to three hours. And such an act of coitus can firmly root a person in the soil of celibacy, not only for this life but for the next life also. If a person imagines he can simply be a celibate from his childhood, that he can be a celibate without any experience of sex, he will become a neurotic. Those who are always harping on celibacy, who shout about observing celibacy, are causing the disintegration of a man. Nothing more than disintegration can come from this. Celibacy cannot be imposed. Celibacy evolves only as the cream of inner experiences. Celibacy is the result of a serene and profound experience and that experience is of sex. If during sex one has had an absolute revelation even once, he is released from sex for the unending journey of lives. So far, I've discussed two factors for attaining that absolute experience. One is breathing, should be shallow, so shallow that so shallow that it is almost not there at all. And one's awareness should be focused on the Agni Chakra, on the midpoint between the eyes. The more one's awareness is focused on the center, the more profound the intercourse will automatically be. And the duration of coitus will be in direct proportion to the slowness of the breathing. And then, for the first time, you will realize that the attraction is not for intercourse as such. The magnetic pull is that of sex. If you can scale those heights, if you can glimpse that brilliance, it will illuminate your future path. One who has had a glimpse of sex will immediately know the difference between inside and out, between freedom and imprisonment. But in a way, we are all born into tight cells, closed by walls, and they are dark and dirty. It is essential to realize the outside world exists. This knowledge ultimately inspires us to fly out. But a person who does not open the window and just sits in a corner saying he does not want to know about the dirty house cannot change his situation one bit. He will remain in the dirty house forever. A self-styled celibate is as much imprisoned in the cell of sex as anyone else. The only difference between him and you is that he has a closed attitude whereas your eyes are open. What you do physically, he does mentally. Moreover, the physical act is natural, but the, the imagination of it is a perversion. So I urge you not to be against sex, but to try sympathetically to understand it. Give sex a sacred status in your life. We have already discussed two guidelines. The third important thing to remember is the attitude of your approach. At the time of coitus, we are close to God. God exists in the act of creation that gives birth to a new life. And so one's attitude ought to be like that of a man 
going to a temple or to a church. At the time of orgasm, we are closest to the Supreme. We become instrument. A new life is being conveyed into existence. We create a child. How? In intercourse, we are closest to the Creator Himself, and His shadow converts us into creators as well. If we approach sex with a pure mind and with a feeling of reverence, we can easily have a glimpse of Him. But alas, we approach sex indifferently. We approach sex with an attitude of condemnation, with a feeling of guilt, and we fail to feel the existence of the Creator. One should never approach sex while one is in anguish, in spite, in jealousy, in indignation. One should never approach sex, sex filled with worries or in an unclean atmosphere. But the general practice is the contrary. The more one is full of anger and torment or in despair, the more one moves into sex. A cheerful man does not chase after sex, but a soul a sorrowful man moves into sex because he sees it as the perfect escape from his unhappiness. But remember, if you approach sex with bitterness, with irritation, with condemnation or insadness, you will never attain to the contentment, to the realization for which your entire soul thirsts. I urge you to approach sex only when you are cheerful, only when you are full of love and last but not least, only when you are prayerful only when you feel that your heart is full of joy peace and gratitude should you think of having intercourse a man who approaches intercourse like this can attain sublimation and the ultimate realization even once is enough to free one from sex forever with one single experience you can break from the barrier and enter the periphery of sex a child emerging from its mother's womb in is in great distress it is like a tree being uprooted from the soil. Its whole being yearns to rejoin with the earth. Its attachment to the earth means its life, its vitality, its nourishment. It has been uprooted and it clamors to go back. For now, it has been severed from the lifeline. An infant is, is cut off from its world when it comes out of the mother's womb. And now its soul, its whole being, wants to reunite with the mother, with the source. This longing is the thirst for love. What else do we mean by love? Everyone wants to indulge in the give and take of love. Everyone wants to reunite with the stream of life. And the unity comes in the consummation of the sexual act, in intercourse, in the joining of a man and a woman. Sex is the re-experience of the original unity. The coupling of a man and a woman has a very deep significance. The ego evaporates in this assimilation of two human beings. A person who really understands the essence of this unity, of this longing for love and oneness, can also comprehend the meaning of yet another kind of unity. A yogi unites, an ascetic unites, a saint unites, a meditator unites. A person is also united in intercourse. His identity merges with that of the other person and they become one. In sex, a person unites with the whole universe and becomes one with it. In sex, there is a merging of two persons, whereas in passion, a person loves his identity and becomes one with the universe. A meeting between two persons is temporary, but the union of a person with the universe is eternal. Any two people are, are, are finite beings, and hence the union cannot be infinite, cannot be everlasting, and there is the rub. 
there is the limitation of matrimony and of physical love. We cannot unite forever. We come together for a moment of ecstasy, but again we have to be separate. The separation is painful and so lovers are in continuous state of despair. The other person seems to be the cause of this feeling of dejection, of this sense of aloneness and irritation erupts in the relationship. Knowledgeable people will say that two people have to basically different have two basically different identities that they cannot they can meet temporarily but cannot remain fused forever even spiritually that it is out of this unquenchable passion that a conflict arises between lovers and that one starts despising the other that tension strife a feeling of alienation and even a feeling of hatred creeps in and that is because one imagine one imagines the other is probably unwilling and so the merger is not complete but no individual can be blamed for this incompleteness human beings are finite beings and their merging can only be finite as well their merging cannot be forever it cannot be infinite the eternal fusion can only be with god with existence those who have realized the subtlety of intercourse can imagine if a moment's union with an individual can bestow such bliss what the outcome of the meeting with the eternal must be like but the average man cannot imagine the peak of ecstasy it is stupendous ethereal beyond words it is bliss eternal suppose you are sitting in front of a candle trying to imagine the difference between the light of the candle and the light of the sun the attempt at comparison is hopeless a candle is such a tiny thing and the sun is so immense about 60,000 times bigger than our earth although it is 93 million miles away it hits us scorches us so how can we possibly estimate the difference between the light of a candle and the light of the sun but no matter what the astronomical figure may be it is mathematically possible to calculate the difference because both are within the range of human cognition the difference can be ascertained but it is impossible to assess the differential between the ecstasy of orgasm and the eternal bliss of samadhi the sexual meeting of two temporal beings is frantic in uniting with the universal one loses oneself like a drop in the ocean there is no way to compare them no unit to measure the magnitude of this union would one hanker after sex after touching this bliss would one even think of this fleeting pleasure after one has attained the eternal ocean a glimpse of the eternal convinces man that sensual pleasure is meaningless that by contrast it is madness then one's present passions soon become obnoxious then they seem like a drain a waste of energy a source of anguish after this certainty dawns on a man he is on his way to the desired goal to celibacy itself it is a long way from sex to samadhi samadhi is the ultimate goal sex is only the first step and i want to point out that those who refuse to recognize the first step who censor the first step cannot even reach the second step they cannot progress at all it is imperative to take the first step with consciousness understanding and awareness but be warned sex is not an end in itself sex is the beginning 
to progress, more and more steps are required. But mankind's biggest drawback has been its disinclination even to take the first step and it aspires to reach the last. A man despises the first rung and yet is ambitious to grasp the top rung of the ladder. He has no experience of the light of a candle and yet he wants to claim the splendor of the sun. This is impossible. We have to learn to comprehend the dim light of a candle, which lives for a while and is immediately quelled by a gentle breeze. In order to grasp the meaning of the sun, to arouse the craving, the desire, the resentlessness for the last step, the urge to reach the sun, the first step must be initiated correctly. A proper appreciation for light, music, can pave the way for the eternal music. The experience of a dim candle can lead us to the infinite light. Knowing a drop is a prelude to knowing the ocean. Knowledge of the atom can relieve the, reveal the mystery of all the material forces, of the forces of matter. And yet nature has endowed us with a small atom of sex, but we do not recognize it at all. We do not even acknowledge it fully. This is because we neither have the clarity of mind nor the sense of mystery to recognize it, to understand it, or to experience it. And so we are tremendously far from understanding that process that can lead us from sex to samadhi. As soon as man understands and reveres this process of transcendence, he will usher in a new and higher order of society. Man and woman are two different poles, the, up, the positive and the negative poles of energy. A right meeting of those two poles completes a circuit and produces a kind of electricity, and direct knowledge of this electricity is possible if the period of coitus, when you are in deep and full surrender to each other, can be stayed for a longer time. If it can be prolonged for an hour, a high charge producing a halo of electricity will evolve by itself. If the body currents are in full and total embrace, one can even see a patch of light in the darkness. A couple experiencing this electrical current of energy is drinking life's fullest cup, but we are unaware of this phenomenon. We find such talk very strange because we don't believe in what we haven't experienced because this is outside the realm of ordinary experience. But I say, if you haven't encountered this experience, you should think about it and try again. You should review your life, especially the chapter on sex, from A, B to C. Sex should not only be an instrument of pleasure, it should be a means of spiritual elevation. Sex is a logical process. I do not think the birth of Christ or Buddha was accidental. Each birth was the fruit of the fullest union of two people. The deeper the union, the better the offspring. The shallower the meeting, the worse the offspring. But today, the celibate of mankind is sinking lower and lower. Some people blame it on the deterioration of moral standards, while others attribute it to the effects of the presidented era of chaos. But all these assumptions are false and worthless. The deterioration in man is only due to the crassness of our attitude to sex, in theory as well as in practice. Sex has lost its original sacredness. The original sense of reverence man had for sex has been tarnished. Sex has degenerated into a mechanical nightmare, and this attitude to sex betrays a subtle violence. In the strict sense of the term, 
Sex is no longer an experience of love. Sex is no longer a vehicle of sacredness. Sex is no longer a meditative act. And because of this, mankind is falling steadily into an abyss. The result of anything we do depends on the mental attitude which we do it in. If a drunken sculptor is making a statue, do you expect him to create a beautiful work of art? If a ballerina is dancing, do you expect a scintillating performance from her if she is disturbed, angry or filled with sorrow? Similarly, our approach to sex has been wrong. Sex is the most neglected affair in our lives. Isn't it a tremendous mistake that the phenomenon on which the procreation of life depends, on which new children depend, on which new souls entering this world depends, is the most neglected? You are probably not aware that the climax in coitus creates a situation into which a soul descends and a new life is thereby conceived. You only create the circumstance when the necessary and appropriate condition for a particular soul is fulfilled, that soul is born. The quality of the soul has a direct bearing on the circumstances. The infant conceived in anger, guilt and anxiety is afflicted from birth. The standard of our progeny can be improved, but, the con but to conceive a higher soul, the circumstances must also be of higher quality. Only then can superior souls be born. Only then can the standard of humanity be ultimately raised. That is why I say that when man has become acquainted with the science of sex, with the art of sex, when he is able to impart this knowledge to young and old alike, we will be able to provide the circumstances that will give birth to what we call a superman. Such a posterity can be sired. Such a world can be created. But before then, there can be no progress. Before then, there can be no peace in the world. Before then, wars cannot be prevented. Hatred cannot be abolished. Immorality cannot be cured. Evil cannot be eradicated. Debauchery cannot be uprooted. And the present darkness cannot be wiped away. Even if we press all the modern conveniences and innovations into service, even if politicians and sociologists and religious leaders do their utmost, wars will not cease, tensions will not ease, and violence and jealousy will not disappear. Wagwan family, thank you for tuning in and staying locked to the Midnight Podcast. Two Had To Go Hell is a year-long creative expression in the form of audio podcasts, music, albums, literature, poetry, visuals, all talking on the subject of spiritual health. I believe that spiritual health is one of the most important conversations that we need to have as a generation moving into a new decade. And so I've dedicated all my creative outlets to this conversation. Please, guys, if you'd love to support um, the work that I'm doing and to support me in continuing this conversation, please visit worldchangerlife.com and support me on Patreon or PayPal. Uh, buy the clothing, man, donate money and just share what you feel that you like, man. This is all about sharing energy, man. Either way, man, thank you for tuning in, man. I really appreciate your ears, man. Let's get back to more high programming. Hey! <laughs>